so thankful to be here with you, and uh, so glad you are here this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 9. Those are the two passages that we'll be looking at here today. And, but before we get into the text, a couple things I want to share with you is today is an exciting day here at the church because we are officially opening our kids' wing, the Ark, as it has become known as. So we are going to celebrate after service today, actually at the very end of service. Uh, we're going to celebrate here and, uh, and have a prayer over our students and a prayer over uh, the wing. So there's been a lot of work that's gone into that wing. And uh, it's, uh, um, I've left my notes over here. They're over here somewhere. All right, we'll try this again. So there's been a lot of work, as I was mentioning, that, that went into that wing. And as we look back at the history of that wing, it was not here when the church first uh, was purchased back in 1984. It was built, and it was a wide open space that had a lot of different uses. I remember as a teenager being back there, uh, it was a gathering space for fellowship. There's a lot of different things. And then uh, over time, there were walls that were built that were temporary and moved back there. There were parts added onto it. Eventually, there were walls put up back there, and then over the last year, there's been a huge change that took place down there with really theming it in uh, the ARC style. And with the ARC and with kids' ministry here, there's been an intentionality with children from the very beginning. Uh, one of the things that drew our family here a long time ago when we first moved to town was the children and youth programming here at the church. There's been an intentional investment with physical space, with staff, with programming. And I know it's a number, it's a reason, one of the many reasons why you may be here today, whether your child went through some of the programs here or your child is actively involved. This dream to remodel was birthed through a gift that was given over five years ago to the church, which covered over 80% of that project. Someone said, I wanna give this gift, use it how uh, you all see fit, and that was something that was earmarked, and we just said this was a, a great thing for us to do. And so to that individual, I want to say thank you uh, for your contribution and the change that that's really made down in that end. Just over a year ago, plans were made uh, for the construction down there. And uh, it began last summer, and over the time, many of you have contributed, many of you have put time and effort into uh, but from the staff side, I want to acknowledge uh, a couple people who were really champions on this project, and then we're going to thank everyone in just a moment here. I really appreciate John Gurton, who got this off the ground, organized some people early on, and put a lot of effort into it as he got this moving and was a huge catalyst of moving that forward. But the one who championed it and closed it at the end here was Emily Van Dorpy. She really has put in so much effort and time and it would not have been possible with either John or Emily leading it from the staff side. And I want to say a special thank you, too, to Corey Mesner. Uh, Corey's in here this morning. There she is. As uh, we, <laughs> he was here all the time. Uh, we had people laying carpet, and they thought Corey was on staff uh, because she was here all the time. And uh, other people have mentioned that, too. And so just a special thank you that we wanted to say uh, for Corey for all your work. But it's not just John or Emily or Corey. It was many other people. So many people put in time and effort into what it became, whether that was demo or um, painting or staining or uh, door handles or vinyl on the walls. Uh, I mean, there's so many different things, moving things from place to place. And so we want to say thank you this morning to you and how we want to acknowledge that 
is if you had any involvement, whether from the first start of demo to the final touches that took place just, uh, what, two days ago, uh, would you stand and we want to say thank you to you, whatever role you may have had. So would you please stand? Don't be shy. There has to be. There you go. Thank you. There you go. And then also, too, uh, I want to say thank you um, to those who um, work in this space. And we're going to say thank you one more time uh, to you because we want the kids to see you, too, uh, because the ministry takes place. And so we're going to ask um, those in just a little while here to stand once again um, with that. And so we're going to do that later on here with uh, the opening. But um, we just are so, so thankful for that. And we're going to celebrate more at the end of the ARC opening and, um, and just afterwards, we want you to be a part. We're going to tell you more about that in just a little bit here. The next thing I want to tell you about uh, is the next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is something very exciting that's happening. You may have heard that it is real. Um, it's still not real in my mind, uh, in my heart, in my head here just yet. We are actually going to break ground on a building that we have been working on and planning for the last 11 years. Uh, it is an official go uh, we checked all the boxes, all the committees, groups, everything like that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you can move them. So there you go. And so uh, we are just so thrilled about that. And there's going to be more communication about what this looks like and how it impacts you and impacts ministries and uh, just on and on. There's so much communication that we're going to give. But what you need to know now is next Sunday there will be one service. So 10 o'clock. You made it today with the time change. Good work. Congratulations. Uh, you're going to be in here, but you're going to need to make space, all right? So all those little green seats that are around you, we're going to need to cram in next week as we're going to have both services together. And we want to celebrate together. We want to um, be, be together for this day. We want to worship together. We want to pray together. We want to um, just embrace what God has done and continues to do. So 10 o'clock, we're going to be in here. And then at the end of service, we're going to walk outside and we are going to uh, break ground. We're going to do this together. How many of you have noticed that there is a small plow sitting out in the airlock out here? How many of you? Like 10 of you? How many of you have ever walked through this door over here? Show your hands. Don't be shy. Yep. Okay, you have walked past a plow. Go look at it afterwards. I promise you there's a plow sitting out there. So it's, you're confirming that it's there. So it, there's a plow there. So what we're going to do in order to break ground, something that happened in 1995, when the ground was broken for this construction, there was a plow that was used. And what we're going to do is we're going to take that plow and we're going to set it out back here where the new building is going to go. And we are all going to grab onto a rope, all of us. And we're all going to pull together. And what we're doing is we're following in the footsteps of what happened almost 30 years ago when this ground was broken. This is pulling together. This is a vision that God started long ago when this church was planted in 1984 when Pastor and Pam came. They saw a vision beyond just themselves. They invested and, and added that kid's wing, which we now celebrate the opening of uh, the, the ark today. Then the vision for this, this is a continuation, and that plow was used here, and so we continue on. And what God began a long time ago, we're going to continue to pull forward together as a church because it is a church effort. Not one person, one committee, one group, one board. It is all of us uh, together. And so we are going to celebrate Next week, one service in here, 10 o'clock, jam-packed, uh, come, and then we'll go outside and do that. 
You may be asking, when is work going to begin? Well, it's scheduled for the 20th of this month. So uh, we will see things happening here. Like I said, it's amazing uh, to be thinking about this right now. So uh, we're so excited, and please be praying, and just huge thanks. We'll talk about this next week. There's been so many people over the years that have contributed towards this, uh, this day, and we're so thankful. Final thing I want to tell you about here today is there is a party that you're invited to if you know Richard Wilson, Richard is one of our um, just beloved individuals here in this church who has been really sick and um, has been increasing in strength, and his family has invited us to celebrate with him. And so uh, he, they said this. They said, because we believe in making the most of every opportunity, we are hosting a St. Patrick's party at Marshall Rehab from 5 to 7 on March 17th. So 5 to 7 on March 17th at Marshall Rehab here in town. They said they will provide a veggie tray, cake, and drinks, and you are to provide hugs, smiles, love, and encouragement. So when you come, that's what you're coming for. So with Richard, it says his shelf space is limited, so a card or a balloon is a great option if you wish to bring something fun. Thanks for being a beautiful part of his life and ours as well. So signed his kids, Robin, Steve, and David. So they've invited you uh, March 17th from 5 to 7 as an encouragement. And they said if you can't make it, um, you can send cards we'll post something this week, or you can drop them off at the office, and we'll make sure to get them to Richard. All right, a lot of information just shared, a lot of exciting things. We're going to tell you more about the ARC at the end of service. Uh, we're going to tell you more about the construction this coming week and the weeks beyond, and now we're going to look into the Word. So Colossians chapter 3, we are going to read this. This is not on the screen. You're welcome to follow along, obviously, if you have a device or a Bible in front of you. Otherwise, I encourage you to listen to these words and um, hear what Paul is teaching in this passage. Colossians 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears... Then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. In perfect unity. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would be a people God, who realize that we've been raised with you in a new life and salvation. And Lord, that we'd be a people that would take off these things of the past, or these things that we've allowed to sneak into our life or become evident in our life. And God, that we would walk in a newness of life. So Jesus, I pray that we would be led by you. God, you invite us to follow you. So help us with 
more clarity to understand exactly what that looks like. Jesus, guide us in this time that we're together. Pray this in your name. Amen. As you watch this clip, I want you to be aware of thoughts that come to mind, words that come to mind. What impressions do you have as you walk along these city streets? How do you see the environment around you? How do you see the people that you are passing, that you're walking with? Again, what words or thoughts? What experiences come to mind? What is it like to be amongst people? Now, I'm going to ask Wes, would you play that one more time here? Now, this time, I want you to think of this a little bit differently. I want you to think about Jesus walking with you. What would it be like to, to walk with Jesus in this exact same setting? What would Jesus be saying to you, whispering to you? How would he see the people that he's passing? What impressions or thoughts or words are coming to his mind? And then as you walk, how do the words and thoughts and impressions that you had compare and are similar to Jesus's? Or even more so, how are they different? What does Jesus have to say in this one city block? I ask us to look at this, to, to consider the, and contrast the two or compare the two because Jesus walked with people. Jesus was amongst people. In Matthew chapter nine, if you just wanna flip right over to that as I ask you to hold that one. We get a glimpse of how Jesus walked with people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. I wonder if any of us felt compassion as we did that first walk on that city block. Did we have compassion? I wonder if any of us saw the people that we passed as harassed and helpless. I wonder if any of us thought about those are sheep without a shepherd. Well, if you, you had thoughts other than that, you're human. We go to our experiences, our thoughts, our impressions very quickly. And what Paul is teaching in Colossians, where we first began, is to set our mind on things above, our hearts on things above. It is a refining process. To have compassion is a refining process. Because a lot of times that is not our immediate go-to. What Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses, he's saying, you've been raised with Christ, so set your heart and minds on things above. He's reminding the church to be like this, not on earthly things. 
What Paul is pointing to is Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he's saying, you too. When you die to yourself, there's a burial, there's a, a new life, there's a resurrected type of life. In fact, when we walk through this Lenten season, we're reminded of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross on Good Friday, his death. He went to the cross willing to follow the Father, but he gave up his life. And then he was resurrected on Easter, what we celebrate. And after Jesus' resurrection, we see that Jesus left the tomb. And so we too, as his followers who are resurrected, who are walking in a newness of life, we leave death around us. What are these things that are of the old life that are dead, that are pulling us down? We walk away from those. We walk out of that tomb that it was. Two, as resurrected followers of Jesus who are living a resurrected life, we see that Jesus spent time ministering to his disciples. But how do we see the world around us? Is it with compassion? Jesus walked with supernatural power. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we talked about recently. And Jesus, too, he looked towards heaven. And we realize that we are called to here and now, but we are citizens of heaven, the scripture tells us. But there's a cost. There is a cost to following Jesus. So often we think of this great, huge cost, which there is. When we receive Christ, maybe we were walking in one way or living one way, and we turn away from all those things, and there's a huge cost, a huge breaking away. We see the disciples in previous weeks who have walked away from their jobs, from family. There's a cost. But what I want us to consider today is not just think about the big cost, because many of you are following Jesus, you've been following Jesus for a long time, is that what is that daily cost? What is that everyday, momentary type of cost? For some of you here today, you're not following Jesus. And so Jesus may be knocking on your door of like, this is something for you to consider. But for those of you that are following Jesus, what does it mean to die, to, to have that cost daily? In verse five of Colossians three, it says this, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. What Paul's saying is you walk in these things. You permit them. You allow them. You justify them. But what he's saying is don't suppress them. Don't try to control them. But you need to die to these things. You need to die to them. Verse 8 continues. And he says there's more. You must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. So in that first list, maybe you're like, nah, I'm good. That's not me. And then we get to this next list. Paul's like, there's more. Anger, slander, anything impure coming out of your mouth. See, and there's these things that we refine, that we pull away from, that we walk away from, that we take off. Since the fall, Joanna and I have been more intentional about how we're eating. And changing that has been really hard because we're all in, you know, ruts and, and movements. And so we eat differently and we feel better and we see change. But you know what? There's always that cheeseburger that's calling my name, Right? And as you have walked through seasons where you've tried to eat better, exercise, change a habit, whatever it may be, there's always that thing calling. Maybe you're setting aside anger 
by the Spirit of God, the power of God, and you're just there and you're walking through life and then anger is like, hey, remember me? Or slander. You're going through a situation and you're like, I am no longer going to speak ill of other people. I'm not going to slander them anymore. And then you're going along and you're like, hey, remember me? Or sexual immorality, whatever it may be. You say, you know what, I'm following Jesus and forgiven of sin. And, and sexual immorality is like, hey, remember me? It's this putting off, this walking aside, this denying by the Spirit of God moving, leaving this old self behind. And what it is is not just about taking it off, but being reminded of who we are and also putting things on. Consider verse 12 in Colossians chapter 3. It says, As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Often we could just deny or push things aside or say, I'm leaving this behind, and then we forget our identity. It's not in ourself and what we can do, but it is as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. God so loved you. You, a son, his one and only son. He was Jesus, this gift. And Paul's saying because of that, we clothe ourselves. We put these things on. We put on compassion. There's that word again. This is how Jesus saw people around him. So we put on compassion, put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together, all together in perfect unity. So we clothe ourselves with compassion. Then we choose kindness when we can choose cruelty. We choose humility when we can choose pride. We choose gentleness when we can choose being harsh. We choose patience when we want to be impatient. We choose forgiveness when we want to resent. But on love. This is part of what it means of a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to following because to be cruel, proud, harsh, impatient, and resentful is about me. It's how I want to respond, how I feel, how I see the situation. But the cost of following Jesus is that instead I choose to be kind, humble, gentle, patient, and forgive. Because it's about the other. It's about seeing others as Jesus sees them. In Matthew, you read the passage where Jesus is walking, and he's walking with compassion. He's seeing people with compassion because they're harassed and helpless. And in verse 37 of Matthew 9, he says this. He says, and then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. I'm saying the harvest is there. There are people who are hungry for Jesus, whether they can say that or admit that. There's a hunger. There's a spiritual hunger. And it's only Jesus that will fill that. There are plenty of people around us. They're just being, waiting to be welcomed, to be invited into community, into a place of connection, into a relationship with Jesus. Or maybe it begins with you. The numbers are overwhelming of the amount of people who would respond to come to a group or a church service, if just invited. I'm imagining a number of you here came, whether it's to this church or another church, from an invitation, or a group because of an invitation. So Jesus is saying, there's a lot of work 
out there, but not a lot of workers. So we need to ask God to send workers. And he's saying this after he has done a lot of work. In the previous chapters, we see that Jesus has cleansed a leper. He's healed a paralyzed man. Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and he healed her. He cast out demons. He calmed a storm. He caused demons to be cast into the pigs. He met a woman and healed a woman who had bled for 12 years. And Jesus is healing, and he's working, and he's ministering, but it's not just physical healing that he's bringing. Look again at Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1. There's a really well-known story here. This is a very abbreviated version. The longer narratives are in Mark 2 and Luke 5. But in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says this, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his hometown. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. All right, let's just pause for a moment. So Jesus is in town. He has healed all the people that were just referenced just a moment ago by me. These friends hear that Jesus has healed all these people. They take their friend to Jesus. They set their friend before Jesus, and Jesus says, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, your motive is to bring healing to this paralyzed man. That's not necessarily where my mind would be right off the bat. Maybe you're like super spiritual, godly people would be right there. But you're like, uh, Jesus, you healed all these other people. Why, why are you starting with forgiveness of sin? He wants to walk. I mean, this, this scene, imagine being the friends. You're so excited. You get to the door and you cannot get in. It's so full that you have one of your friends has an idea. And your friend is like, hey, let's go upstairs. Let's cut a hole in the roof and let's lower this person through the roof, right? There's always that crazy friend in your friend group, right? And if you don't know who that friend is, that's you, right? You're that crazy friend. That friend's like, let's cut a hole in the roof and let's set them before Jesus. Imagine Jesus and others being in the room and be like, what is that as the ceiling starts to fall and peeled back and sunlight comes in and the individual is lowered before Jesus and then Jesus is like your sins forgiven. But as we know in the story is that Jesus also heals him physically. But he starts with a spiritual need. So what does that speak to us as followers who are following after him, who, who are being encouraged to have compassion, who are being encouraged to see people around us as helpless and harassed as sheep in need of a shepherd. Because we can very quickly go and we can pray for people and their physical needs, which we do, and we should. But are we praying for people for their spiritual need? That they would meet Jesus, that they would know Jesus, that our hearts would be turned toward them knowing Jesus. Let's look at this again. Is what can we learn from these friends? when it comes not only to physical healing, but spiritual healing. First thing I see in here is that they brought their friend to Jesus. They heard that Jesus is the one who changes lives. They brought him before Jesus. Jesus heals the spiritual need, then heals the physical need. I wonder how often we pray for 
people around us for their spiritual need. How quick we are to pray for their salvation, to pray for whatever they're going through, that, that, the, ministry, that the ministry of the Holy Spirit would just be upon them in a powerful way, to see what they need to see, to, to grow, whatever it may be. For the heart change to be had. We need to pray faithfully for healing physically, but even more so for that spiritual change, that salvation. A year ago, we, coming up to a year, where we asked you as a church to identify a one. Who is that one in your life that you're being intentional with? Who is that one that you is local to your context, someone who's not walking with Jesus, someone that you will intentionally rearrange your life with. Who is that person? Because we can pray for our entire family and neighborhood and school for their salvation and then not be intentional. But who is that one that you're praying for? And it was somewhere around 80 to 85% of the adults of this church identified a one. And I love hearing conversations still about ones. That is encouraging. And some of you have forgotten about your one, and this is your reminder, continue to pray for your one. Or maybe you don't have a one that you're intentionally praying for. For some of you, it responded really quickly. These people responded and are walking with Jesus. Praise God for that. Others of you may be like me, where it is a long year of just consistent time spent in prayer. And will be a long time into the future, too. But this leads to the second thing I see with these friends. Because I believe these friends who brought the man, they didn't use this language, but he was their one. They brought their friend before Jesus. But the second thing is they, they expected Jesus to act. I mean, why else would you bring your friend before Jesus? Why would you cut a hole in the roof and set him before? They expected Jesus to do something. And I wonder when I pray, when you pray, do you expect Jesus to do anything? Do you expect the Spirit of God to move? When you came here today, you expected some worship through song. You expected prayer. You expected a message. You expected some chairs. You expected the heat to be on. Those are expectations that were all met. But I wonder when you came here today, when we were worshiping through song, were you just singing words on a screen, or did you expect the Spirit of God to move, for you to worship God and you expect there to be glory given to God because of your heart and your mind? Were you expectant as you sang, maybe for a word or for a phrase or something that jumped out that that Spirit would minister to you? Or were you just present here? Were you expectant? Or even in this time that we've been together here, as I've been sharing, are you expectant, listening for what is it that God is trying to speak today? I'm expecting you, Spirit of God, to, to move, to challenge, to change, to encourage, whatever it is. Or is it just some time that you came in and you're doing this? They expected Jesus to act. And Jesus did. He responded. And something else I see that they did is they overcame obstacles. They brought their friend before Jesus. They expected Jesus to act, and then they overcame obstacles. They couldn't get in. Many of us, we've been praying for something or someone and there's some sort of roadblock or obstacle that comes up and we're like, well, I 
I guess God didn't want that. We just give up. We just quit. Or maybe I had this one and I was praying for them and then I said something and they didn't respond positively, so I just walked away. I'm done. What obstacles are standing in the way of something that that God has called you to do? The friends found another way. When the door was not open, they cut a hole in the roof. What is it for you where the door just doesn't seem to be open? Not that you're forcing it, that you're making your own way, but that God is calling you to overcome this obstacle. What is that before you? How do we pray intentionally? How do we invite others into praying for whatever it is? How do we rearrange our schedule or invest more in a relationship? See, the why is really important because we've all been that individual on the mat. Every single one of us who have come before Jesus. And we've had people carry us before Jesus. For me, it was my mom. But even beyond her, it was my grandma who was praying for all of us. Who was it for you? Who brought you before Jesus? Who shared Jesus with you? Who showed you what it meant to follow Jesus? Who invited you to something? Who shared life with you? Those are the people carrying you on the mat, setting you before Jesus, expecting Jesus to do something, overcoming obstacles. My life would be different. Your life would be different if someone did not carry you before Jesus. And I wonder if you've ever considered that you are the answer to someone's prayer. There's people in your workplace, school, neighborhood, friend group, whatever it may be. I would imagine for a number of them, they've had grandmas, grandpas, aunts, friends, whoever praying for them. That someday someone would come along, share life, would invest in them, share Jesus. I know I have family members that I've prayed for that very same way, that someone would come and invest in them, that would speak Jesus into them, that would pray for them like I'm praying for them. Do you ever consider that could be you? You could be the answer to that person's prayer, that you're the one that gets to carry this person before Jesus. And what if the person that brought you before Jesus had given up? I mean, I thank God for those around me, poured into me, shared Jesus with me. Matthew 9, that to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So this begins with prayer. It says, ask God to send people out. So it may be someone else, but it may be you as well. You may be the answer to your very own prayer. Prayer is what moves us. Now, as we talk about compassion and being harassed and helpless and how do we see people and sheep without a shepherd and, um, you know, the harvest field and praying and all these different things, I thought about why is it that I stop short? And as I was reading this week in our weekly readings, Matthew chapter 8, a short phrase that really bothers me. And I think it's the answer for me personally. Maybe it's not for you. Chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus is inviting people to follow him. 
And a disciple, one who's following Jesus, he says this, after he's invited to follow. Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, or their own dead. Seems a little insensitive that Jesus was like, yeah, we can't take some time. But the point here, I think in these words, Lord, first let me. I think this is the point that Jesus is making. Lord, first let me. Maybe this is why I look at people in ways different than Jesus. Maybe this is why I lack compassion. Maybe this is why I choose different ways of responding. Maybe this is why I don't pray. Maybe this is why I'm not a response to prayer. Maybe it's, Lord, I've got my own priorities, and I first need to do whatever it is. I want to invite you to wrestle with this. I want to invite the team to come forward. They're going to sing a song. And as you think of the words that are sung, I want you to think about this. Lord, first let me. What is that? What is that that you need to surrender, that you need to lay before God here today? You take a moment. Listen to the words. Sing, reflect, and worship. This place is open, too, if you'd like.
Pray that we would be a people who truly surrender. God, a people who put aside the let me first. Jesus, we walk in your will and walk in your way. And Jesus, I pray for each person here, Lord, that there would be surrender to you as Lord and Savior. That even today, whether online or here in person, there's someone here, many people here who have not said yes to following you, that they would simply today say, Jesus, I need you, but I confess my sin before you. Lord, today I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for taking sin on you on the cross. So Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. Lord, I desire to walk after you, to, to learn and understand what it means to follow you. And Lord, for each of us that have made that commitment, that confession previously, that we would walk in that surrender this week. Lord, with eyes to see compassion, the people around us. Lord, that we would be faithful in prayer and faithful with our words. Lord, on mission with you. For Jesus, that's what we're about here. God, I thank you that this church was founded so that people would know you as their Lord and Savior. Jesus, we just again recommit and refocus. God, in the work of Jesus, work of salvation. So, Lord, in faith, God, send us out. Send us into the places that we already go with great intentionality. Lord, we're so grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.